Bienvenidos al Estadio Fantasy Podcast. Yo soy Mauricio Gutiérrez, analista de Fantasy Fútbol. Y como ya vieron en el título de este episodio, tengo un invitadazo. Chris Allen, miembro de la Fantasy Sports Rights Association, contribuye en sitios como 444, Football Guys, NBC Sport Edge. Tuve la oportunidad de conocerlo en persona en Canton, Ohio, el año pasado durante la Football Expo y ahí estuvimos intercambiando eh, pláticas tipazo. I know, Chris, you didn't understand probably nothing what I said about you, but it was really, really good thing, uh, things. How are you, Chris? And welcome to the Study Fantasy Podcast. I'm doing well, Mauricio. And I, I caught the last part. I was so glad also that we got to meet last yeah. year at the Fantasy Football Expo. So, I mean, it was, I mean, the expo itself, and I've talked to a number of folks about this in the past. It's just we do so much of our interactions like this way, right? Yeah. Like where, you know, you're behind your, your your camera, in front of your camera, behind your mic, you know, I'm doing the same thing. Oh, yeah. we'll shoot a couple of DMs or we might pass each other in some sort of like random thread that we might get tagged on. But that's essentially how the majority of us analysts communicate throughout the, I mean, throughout the entirety of our careers, yeah. quote unquote, this is like the most that we're going to, like the, the biggest way that we'll communicate with each other. But the Fantasy Expo, it was the first time that I was actually able to see you and to see <laughs> all the rest of the people that I, it doesn't even matter, uh, to be quite honest. And uh, I don't know if you agree with me or not, but you, you know all the drama that we see on Twitter. Yeah. Almost like every like week in, week out, year over year, because somebody said this, somebody didn't like this ranking or whatever. <laughs> I saw none of that in Canton. Nothing. Not a not a drop of you know backstabbing or any like people talking about each other like none of that stuff was there. It was just, hey, I know you. Hey, I've done a show with you. Yeah. I'm so glad I get to see you in person. And that's ex exactly how I felt. Like the moment I saw it, it was like, oh my gosh, it's like I cannot <laughs> believe I finally get a chance to see you in person. Because yeah. it's just one of those things that we take for granted being online like so much, but actually being able to see a person to talk with them and actually you know have even just a normal conversation outside of fantasy football, I think that's the one of the greatest things that the Expo provides. So I'm looking forward to seeing you again. Yeah, in Canada. totally. You're planning uh, to, in to attend as well. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, I would. I would not miss it. I have no excuse. I'm. <laughs> I, I'm in Ohio. Like I have no excuse. Like I can't Come. miss the Expo. Yeah. It's like two hour driving. We're... It's like two and a half, three hours. Like from, I'm in. That's so enough. Canton's in like what north northeast portion okay. of Canton, and I'm in Dayton, Ohio. So like the southwestern portion, just like maybe forty five really? minutes so now from Cincinnati. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. My brother mm -hmm. is going to be there probably in mid June. Really? Yeah, he's going to be uh, with uh, the uh, how do you say skydiving? Yeah, skydiving. Oh yeah, yeah, there's, yeah. There's a okay. site near Dayton, and, yes. and he loves over there, and he's going to be there and jumping like what, hey, dude. five the five times a uh, day. Uh, I'll be praying <laughs> for him. That's not for me, but uh, you know, let, like maybe tell me or have him, you know, like get word how he liked it because we've heard of that place. It's like maybe. 30-ish minutes away from our house or something Probably, like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard about that spot. And uh, like, I don't know. I, I'm not, <laughs> I couldn't do You're it. You're not a I've, skydiving person. No, absolutely not. I like it being down here on the ground. You know, I prefer that. Yeah. But if he likes it, I mean, I'll, I'll take a good review and maybe I'll think about it. <laughs> Great. So I hope to see you there. Obviously in Canton, we are planning as well our trip. It's going to be a long trip. I hope not not as long as last year, but it's going That's to be right. long. Yeah. We're we're planning to fly from probably San Diego or LA. Okay. So yeah. But we are right. we are planning to arrive on thir Monday to Thursday. Yeah. Okay. And also I'm catching your Twitter bio, Chris, that you are a home brewer. Oh yes. And that was like what? I'm a beer lover. I love beers. I love IPAs. Mm -hmm. Sorry, sorry to you, Hernandez. Sorry <laughs> about that. Tell us more, but I I never homebrew nothing. Uh -huh. How is it to homebrew? What have you brewed? Was your best beer you've done? Tell us more. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I've been homebrewing for, let's say, 12, 13 years now. Wow. And it really was, it's almost like getting into fantasy football where okay. you like you join, you, you join a league. Right. You have no idea what you're doing and you, you go through and you, you do it and then you just kind of look back on it and it's like, oh, okay. 
But if you're like the rest of us, let's quote unquote, like in the industry, you're just like, well, I want to learn more. I want to do more. And I want to figure out, okay, what the heck did I just do? Because this stuff doesn't taste all that great. So how can I fix it? So the same and, thing I, like- and, and, and probably knowing that other person is doing good things, uh -huh. doing, right? Yeah. Yeah. So all you got to do is almost like, again, the same thing like fantasy football, because if you have the drive and you have the interest because it's like, oh, okay, my, my draft sucked. I picked the wrong guys or, you know, whatever the case may be, or I didn't manage my team correctly throughout the season. You want to learn the ins and outs of the craft so that maybe you do get a little bit better. Maybe you don't win your league, but at least you feel more comfortable with the process. And that was the same way that I approach homebrewing because I bought one of those little like Mr. Beer kits. I don't know if they sell them on Amazon or not anymore. They were like 30, 40 bucks. They give you, you know, a couple of cans with some yeah. syrup in it. You throw the stuff in some boiling water and then maybe just like a pinch of hops, even though the hops and stuff like that are just dry as all hell. And then like the yeast packet is just like this basic yeast packet. It's just, it, it tried to, it takes all of the effort out of it, but at okay. least gives you an, an idea of what it's, what is supposed to happen. Nice. And from there it was like, okay, well, this doesn't taste all that great. So how do I make stuff that actually tastes good? <laughs> so I happened to meet a guy. Uh, I was playing, uh, I was playing poker with him for, for a number of years. He was like, yeah, I've been homebrewing for, you know, like four or five years. And he taught me everything that he knows. And we would actually get together. And it's almost, again, like fantasy football, you are part of a community with fantasy football. Right. And with homebrewing, you're also the same thing. We would get together on Saturdays or Sundays, my family, his family, and a buddy of his who was also in a homebrewing. We get our families together, you know, six, eight hours, you know. <laughs> Our wives are off, like talking, doing whatever, kids playing yeah. in the backyard. You know, we're just off in the garage, like just brewing all day. It's just one of those things that just kind of sticks in your mind. It's something that yeah, you amazing. can remember. And now it's gotten to the point where that same friend of mine, he now owns his own brew supply store here in Dayton, Ohio. Mm -hmm. Homebrew your own beer, hbyob.com. Go and check it out. We've done competitions together. I mean, we've just gone, like mm -hmm. we've traveled from like different breweries to like meet people, like head brew masters and things like that. And just like gotten just deeper and deeper into the craft. Like I'm not the most into it as some folks, like people oh. get as deep as like the different types of water that you yeah. can use to brew. <laughs> I haven't gotten that deep, but I love brewing. Like you mentioned, I love IPAs, but not oh. the same like bitter IPAs. I like yeah. hazy IPAs. I, like, I love hazy. Yeah. I like New England style, like IPAs. Actually the, I have a recipe and I'm going to brew this weekend It's a recipe for a hazy IPA, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to take about three to four-ish pounds of mango, chop it wow. up, and throw it in the beer itself and have just nice. a mango-flavored IPA. And that, But I love those types of – but I love creating. I love being able to kind of take an idea and maybe do a little bit of research and say, all right, well, if you're going to do this – Here are kind of the, the grains that you would need or the hops that you would need. And maybe if you wanted to do this, like, here's what you would kind of do. And then I'll just kind of tweak the recipe for what I like. And that's what homebrew allows you to do. It allows you to kind of, you can, you can start off with a basic recipe, but then after that, as you start to learn more, you can start to adjust the recipe for the things that you like. Because if you don't like super hoppy or super bitter beers, yeah. don't add as much hops. I mean, you know, <laughs> that's, it. Like, that's it. It's like, it's really that simple. If you like beers that don't really taste like beer, like they have a little bit more sugar, you can add like non-fermentable sugars, like lactose or whatever the case may be in order to make it to what you like. And that's, it's just so much fun. Like, so I, that's why I also like cooking as well, even though much to my wife's chagrin, I'll go mm. off script with recipes and stuff like that. <laughs> to things like, But still, I, it's just, it's such a fun hobby. And yeah. anytime I get a chance to share what I've created with other people, I really, I really do enjoy doing that. Like that's why I brought Growlers to the expo last year. That mango, that mango IPA, I need, I need to to see it. Please. I know it. I'm not I'll going it to be me. able to taste it. Yes, but and, and if you and you go and to Canton and you uh, have some Growlers about some beer, I, I'm bringing. Be I plan amazing. on bringing some with me to okay. Canton, so I'll be more than wait. happy to bring some to you. <laughs> I yes. can't wait. Yeah, and home brewing. Actually, it does sound like fantasy football, and probably I have to go down that rabbit hole as well. <laughs> you let me know. Yeah, I, I know a guy that can get you hooked up, equipment, whatever you need. They'll, he'll ship out to you too. Wow. Means, even from even from nice. Dayton, it'll ship to where you're at. So yeah, well, we can make nice. it happen for sure. Yeah, sure. Well, let's talk about fantasy football. Right. We, we started to, to talk something about <laughs> fantasy football and home brewing, but let's start. Take a look back to 2021. Okay. I want to know two takes 
that you have from past season. It could be a lesson that you learned, a player that you were hyped up and it was up to the standards of what you expect for them. All, two takes, whatever you want, Chris. Sure. Uh, I would say the first take that I learned throughout the 2021 season is that we needed to adjust our priors regarding the Cincinnati Bengals passing attack. Now, for the folks that I, we just talked about the fact, I live in Ohio. Look at the hat that's sitting right behind me. Bengals division champion. We sh <laughs> I was hoping we win the Super Bowl. We didn't make oh, it. That's okay. It's okay. I was waiting no to see the Bengals winning yeah. the Super Bowl. <laughs> I was down in a bar in Cincinnati watching that game live. Uh, it was such a fun experience. I just wish we could have been able to pull out the W, but it is what yeah, it is. Uh, but the thing that I took into the 20, into the 2021 season was that we looked at Joe Burrow's rookie season, the 10 games that he started. He was passing at about, he averaged around like 37, 38 passes per game. I mean, their pass rate over expectation was through the roof when they brought in Joe Burrow, which we expected that to be, right? We wanted it to be a more pass heavy type of offense. Yeah. When you bring in like, like the, the way that Zach Taylor was starting to structure the offense and then also bring in Joe Burrow after he had that prolific season at LSU, it just all kind of made sense that this is what they would do. And, but still after coming off of the ACL tear, when they played against Washington, we couldn't really expect the same amount of passing volume. Yeah. And I think even looking at it, it might be hindsight being 2020, but just the fact that they have a guy, like they have a running back in Joe Mixon, I mean, even other complementary backs like Samaji Ryan, who could also function similar to Joe Mixon, not the same rusher, but still can function similarly. The pass volume just was never going to be there. And we saw that play out throughout the first month. They were almost dead last. I mean, they were dead last the first three weeks of the season, dead last in pass rate over expectation. So if you don't have that same volume that you're going to expect, the guy that I was drafting heavily throughout the summer was Tyler Boyd. Because I was like, oh, man, of course, like Jamar Chase. Okay, fine. He's got the collegiate uh, connection with Joe Burrow. Yeah, he's, he's going to be a rock star. Yeah. He's going to be a rock star. T. Higgins had already established himself as at least a fine alpha, if not a 1B to Jamar Chase. And that's fine. They were going through in like the first like four to five rounds of every single draft. But the guy that I wanted, I wanted the slot receiver. Tyler Boyd, he's going to be sitting there in the slot. He's going to get all the, great, all the good targets. Joe Burrow's arm isn't that great anyway. There's going to be a ton of targets for that yeah. uh, for that offense. So, yeah, I'm going to load up all on Tyler Boyd. But yeah. the thing I didn't account for, and nobody else did as well, Joe Mixon having a larger target share, Samaje P. Ryan having a larger target share, C.J. Uzuma also coming in and having a decent target share, all pulling away from Tyler Boyd. So where the expectation was that it was going to be essentially Jamar Chase, let's say at 25% target share, T. Higgins at 23% target share, and Tyler Boyd at, say, maybe a 21-22% target share. So essentially all wide receiver ones and twos. It was Jamar Chase at 25-26% target share, T. Higgins where we wanted it to be, and Tyler Boyd all the way down at like 16-17%. Yeah. So it was just that was my biggest takeaway in that we really needed to contextualize where that offense was going to be at. And that's where I'm kind of looking at trying to, I don't know, maybe hedge or just try and add a little bit more risk assessment. Like when I'm looking at some of these offenses coming into next season, because we do have, I mean, some good offenses with good pass catchers, but let's say like even the Daniel Jones situation with the Giants with Brian mm -hmm. Dable coming yeah. in. And it's like, okay, yeah, I love what they're doing. And it could be just a more efficient scheme, but how long does it take for quarterbacks to adjust to yeah. a new scheme? At least a year, right? Typically. Yeah, typically. And even yeah. and even for like the best of quarterbacks, it takes some time. And are we really expecting Daniel Jones to make that leap right away? Ooh, mm. so maybe. So it's just when we try and you know talk ourselves into drafting some of these guys again, we just need to again let's contextualize, let's think about what's going on and how long it typically takes for some of these quarterbacks yeah. and these offenses to really get up to speed. So that was my first my 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 first take. Uh, my second take is that, man, like we really do wind up, it's like really the fantasy community really is a what have you done for me lately type of community. <laughs> like Lamar Jackson yeah. winds up missing a number of games and now the guy's just like absolute I trash. I, I mean, he's still being drafted like at a decent, you know, he still has the right ADP. I mean, he's a decent ADP, you know, QB4, QB5, depending on where you're at. But this is a guy that, what, already already has an MVP under his belt. I know. You know, doesn't even have a second contract. already has an MVP under his belt. I mean, he literally broke fantasy football for a season with his rushing ability. I mean, yeah. we 
we we change the way that we draft rushing quarterbacks now because of Lamar Jackson's season. But yeah, after he actually. has after but after last season, it's like, eh, you know, who's he supposed to be passing to? I mean, Mark Andrews is good, but they just got rid of Marquise Brown. I mean, I love Rashad Bateman, but you know, J.K. Dobbins is back. Gus Edwards is back. They're going to be rushing more. So can Lamar really do it? It's like we do, we've seen. <laughs> You've done seen it him. before. He's already done You've it. Done it before without yeah. Marquise Brown on the first year of Marquise Brown without Rashad uh-huh. Bateman, relying only on Mark Andrews. Yeah, yeah I agree. He's already done it. So yeah. it's just like we really are a, a just a quick reaction to what we see the previous year, yeah. and that's what winds up setting the market. And that, but I guess the positive on the positive side, those are the types of situations where it creates value for folks that are down on a player, yeah. right? Because if Lamar Jackson is being drafted at QB five, QB six, but we all know he has top three upside. Well, heck, I'll take that value all day long. So it's just it's one of those things where if we're down, like even even if you want to go to the opposite end of the spectrum from a guy that we know is good to maybe a guy that we might be out on. What about Curtis Samuel? Curtis Samuel, yeah. when he was down in Carolina, everybody was rushing to pick him up. And after mm-hmm. his switch to Washington, it was like, OK, fine, lesser offense. But we know he's a dynamic player. And after another injury riddled season, nobody wants anything to do with him anymore. He's like wide receiver 60. I know. But still, his only other competition, like target competition, other than Terry McLaurin, is who? Like Jahan Doxson? Yami Brown? Like, what are we doing? Like, what are are we doing? And one year behind his injury. Yeah. This could be the year that we was expecting for Curtis Samuel in Washington. Exactly. So at least Curtis Samuel probably is not going to be a wide receiver, too. No. But he he can give you wide receiver three numbers and you pick it as a wide receiver 60. Yeah. That's a heck of value. I'll take that all day long. Yeah. It's just we get so down on players because of past injuries versus not even thinking about the fact that, I mean, is Curtis Samuel like already injured? Has the season yeah. started? Like none of these things have happened yet. So what, I try and pounce on those whenever I can. I, I agree in that. And it happens in the United States. It happens in, in the Latino community that you you put in your mindset that, no, I don't want that player anymore Mm-hmm. any year because he's done terrible things to my fantasy football right. team. Yeah. You have to, to change your mind. You have yeah. the mindset. You have to change it. You have to take that value and use it in your favor. Mm-hmm. Saquon Barkley, Kirby Samuel, probably Kenny Goladay yes. as well. Kenny Goladay was a very talented. It's a very talented wide receiver. He right. has a good season in, in Detroit with a bad quarterback. Mm-hmm. Well, medium quarterback in, in say, Matthew yeah. Stafford, yeah. And now, not every wide receiver does great things in his third year, in first year in a new team. Right, right. So, yeah, look for 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 that value. Yeah, and Chris, tying what are you saying about QBs and Lamar Jackson? You recently started writing a series of advanced win rates in QBs, running backs, and wide receivers. And I, I would love to to start talking about QBs. We have now mm-hmm. a lot of strategies. The ones that want a reliable quarterback and are willing to invest a second, third, or fourth round in a QB, the Konami code QBs, the middle mm-hmm. round QBs, and, and the late round QBs, right? Mm-hmm. Reading your, your article, one of the things that I kept in my mind was the the starting phrase of it, and it states, QBs are the cornerstone of your roster. Mm, wow. Yeah. And and I, I have to, to be honest with you, I tend to diminish the value of the quarterbacks in fantasy football, obviously in one QB leagues. Mm-hmm. And that phrase was like, mm, this could be a change in mindset of how do I value QBs in fantasy football. Talk talk about what you've done in, in this article and the value and what, what you think the community is going through QB strategies for 2022 respecting what they've done in 2021 or 2020. Yeah, absolutely. And the reason why I think that quarterbacks are the cornerstone of any roster is that we just can't attain the same the, the, the same heights in terms of fantasy points 
as we can with any other position. Sure, you might get those outbursts from a guy like Jonathan Taylor where he might eclipse like 40 points or what was Alvin Kamara's ridiculous like six touchdown game to close (laughs) out the season a couple years ago. I mean, you'll get those types of performances like every now and again. But from a sustained production perspective, you're just not going to see the same amount of of fantasy points being scored like at any other position. I mean, the top six in quarterbacks have almost have always outscored like running backs, wide receivers, like tight ends, like the top six, like the top six of that position have always outscored them. Even if, even in down years, they've wound up outscoring the position because it affects everything else. I mean, in some cases, sure. If you've got poor quarterback play, running backs can kind of make it through. Look at Jonathan Taylor season last year. I mean, if you've got, I mean, it's an exception. An exception. Absolutely. But Christian McCaffrey's years ago was an exception. Absolutely. And it's just, but for those guys, remember that they're, they are the exception because they do have that dual threat ability. But getting back to the quarterbacks, I mean, I do think that the, I guess the, the idea of being able to replace quarterbacks, let's say with later round types of guys that can kind of just get you through. Because remember, I mean, even three, four years ago, Drafting, I mean, waiting on the draft <laughs> and building up this like like just ridiculous squad at all the other positions, yeah. and then grabbing a quarterback like let's say Derek Carr. I mean, yeah. so many folks would rely on it. I was in the exact same boat. I would have no problems with like building up just this ridiculous squad, and then afterwards it's like, all right, well, I'll just start Kirk Cousins here, and then get Derek Carr there. I'm probably in week three. I'll watch the waiver wire to see yes, what quarterback. I, absolutely, I, I Ryan Tannehill here, yeah. or insert you know, replacement level quarterback here, but just with the increased level of quarterback play over the past few seasons, I mean, passing rates are up. It's just, we can't really take those same guys and plug them in. How many other top, like outside of the top 12 quarterbacks actually wind up making it into the top 12? Not that many anymore. It's really the guys that we draft in the top 12 are guys that still wind up in the top 12. I mean, look at the guys that we drafted in the early rounds last year. I mean, all hits. Except for Lamar Jackson, that's just because he missed games. But everybody yeah. else, Justin Herbert, Kyler Murray from 2020, Patrick Mahomes, I mean, both years, Josh Allen, his ridiculous season last year, and he brought yeah. and he came back and did it again this year. I mean, all of those guys that we sink third, fourth, fifth round picks into, I mean, there's a reason why that we wind up doing it. And even you can make the same case for the middle round guys because they're right on the cusp of being able to get into the top four, the top five, or whatever yeah. the case may be. But you always need that rushing component. I think ever since, like we talked about earlier, ever since Lamar Jackson season, we've now been taking, or like we've completely shifted ADPs <laughs> for any quarterback that now has a rushing component to their game to the point where it's like Kirk Cousins is like the QB 13, QB 14. Like it's no longer the case where Kirk Cousins is sitting it. there yeah. at QB 18. Like there's just not an option for us anymore. <laughs> yeah, you and, don't want to do nothing with Kirk Cousins because he doesn't offer – Anything in the rushing game. Yeah, exactly. But it's just we've seen this massive shift in quarterback ADP so that beforehand it would essentially be like, I don't know, almost like a U-shaped curve where you just see a number of quarterbacks being drafted early. You might see this slight drop off in the middle and then it would pick off, uh, pick up again, like once you get towards later round. Now, everything just kind of bunches into the middle where, yeah, we'll still have like the early round guys like Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen. You know, Kyler Murray, Dak Prescott, if you're still into him, like those guys will still always go early. But now since we've got Matthew Stafford, like, you know, winning the Super Bowl, we've got Joe Burrow in there, we've got Tom Brady. I mean, we've got all these guys like Jalen Hurts. We've got all these guys kind of clumped into the middle. It's like either you're an elite pocket passer or you have that dual threat ability to give you top three, top six sustained upside throughout the entire season. I mean, that's where all of those guys wind up getting bunched into the middle of draft. So it's like that's where kind of the sweet spot is. But I'm sure we'll talk about that in a minute. Yeah, yeah, of course. Go ahead. If you want to take about the sweet spot for QBs this year, probably tell us about your favorite QBs in early rounds or middle rounds and where you personally are willing to invest in your drafts for the 2022 season in the QB position. Yeah, um, for me, it's around like, let's say, round seven or eight. And that's around the time where even if you think about it agnostically of the quarterback position, 
of course, you're able to start stocking up on the core positions early. Like I can get a couple of running backs. I can get maybe, you know, a few wide receivers, maybe get one of the top six tight ends that I really want to get. Everybody from Travis Kelsey all the way down to, let's say, TJ Hawkinson, Dallas Goddard, somewhere mm-hmm. in that range. I get one of those guys. All right, my core roster is set. And now I can look at quarterbacks. But I think one of the strategies that a lot of us were using for number of years, myself included, if I'm going to invest in a quarterback early, I'm not going to take another quarterback until later. I've got my guy already, right? Like yeah, if, you get, if you get Patrick Mahomes, if you get Jalen Hurts, you get Tom Brady, Josh Allen, what do I need another running or another quarterback for? I don't need another guy now. That's <laughs> not true anymore. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's not as true anymore. Just because think about, again, think about the guys that are going to be available really late in drafts. It's not going to be the 2019, 2018 Kirk Cousins of the world that has or the Matthew Stafford. Yeah. yeah, the Matthew Staffords or the you know those types of guys. Who are you getting now in the late late rounds? Uh, you're getting Jared Goff. That's who you're getting. Like, yeah. Or, you, or you're, you're getting Jimmy Garoppolo. Who that name, <laughs> that might not be as bad. But I mean, those are the types of guys that you that you're getting that might sniff the top 12, but they will not have the same upside as any of the quarterbacks that are going to be available in the middle rounds. So what has worked over the, like, especially in 2021 is essentially double tapping the position. If you're going to take a quarterback in round seven or eight, just run it right back in rounds eight or nine. And you can actually see the results in the playoff advancement rates uh, using the advancement rate tool that's available on four for four. You can see the win rate for teams that wound up taking a guy, let's say in the, in the seventh round, and then going right back and taking a guy in the eighth round, their win rate was somewhere, let's say, 24, 25%. But, wow. any, but if you wound up waiting, let's say, to the ninth or tenth round, your win rate starts to tick down. You wait till the tenth mm. round, your win rate ticks down a little bit more. Eleventh round ticks down a little bit more. You get the idea. Yeah. The longer you wait, because, again, think about the quality of quarterback that you're getting. I mean, we are now drafting quarterbacks at just this insane clip at pretty much by the eighth round. We will, we're going to cycle through what 12 quarterbacks, if yeah. not maybe a few more. Yeah. So probably. if you're waiting now until the 10th, 11th round, you're now staring down the barrel of the QB 14, <clears throat> QB 13, that you're pairing with your guy that you took at, let's say, QB 6, QB 7, QB 8, which is a much less powerful duo than of being course. able to take, let's say, Jalen Hurts and Tom Brady, Jalen Hurts and Matthew Stafford, Jalen Hurts and Aaron Rodgers. I mean, depending on how the bye weeks and stuff shake yeah. out. But that that duo sounds much more powerful than Jalen Hurts and Derek Carr. Jalen Hurts, yeah, I mean, you get the idea. Because those kinds of, of QBs that you're going to draft, like your second QB in round 11, 12, 13, you're actually drafting that QB only to be the bye week replacement. Mm-hmm. That's it, right? And that's right. it. Because there, there's, there's no upside... Well, probably some of them will be, but year after year, we are seeing that the QB is ranked like 15 or lower. Mm-hmm. It's difficult for them to make the leap for the top, a top 12. Right. right. And I think the, the difficult part is that a lot of people will wind up just looking at end of year stats. Like we'll look at the top 12 or even like, let's say the top 16, once we get to December, January, and we're like, oh yeah, you know, Jalen Hurts, top 12 quarterback, Tom Brady, top 12 quarterback. But we forget that fantasy football is a weekly game. Yeah. How often did Jalen Hurts actually wind up getting into the top 12? I mean, he got in there a number of weeks. I mean, don't get me wrong. But how many other weeks did he wind up just killing your team because he didn't wind up getting those two rushing touchdowns? I mean, Tom Brady, for as good as he was, how many weeks did he wind up having? It might have been a few. But how many weeks did he wind up, you know, bombing your team because he threw a couple of interceptions yeah, and he right. doesn't have any sort of rushing upside? I mean, so if you don't have that week, especially in these best ball tournaments where you need all those points like every single week, and especially once you get to the playoffs, it's less about sustained production and more about what type of production am I getting on a weekly basis and what can I expect out of those out of those players on a weekly basis? And that's yeah. why I wound up looking at you know, how many times really are these early quarterbacks and middle round quarterbacks, even late round quarterbacks getting into the top 12? How much are they getting into the top three or being the overall quarterback one to try and come up with a profile to say that, well, if you're really going to invest in this guy here in the middle rounds or even the early rounds, 
this is what you need. Like they really need to be getting into the top 12, eight, nine, 10 times. They need to have a, you know, one quarterback one or one overall quarterback one ranking in their range of outcomes. Because without that type of profile, your guy's going to wind up getting passed up by Jalen Hurts, Aaron Rodgers. I mean, guys that could still pop off on some random week and outscoring them. And that's what gives them their value over that early round guy. Yeah, totally. Totally agree. Which are the QBs in that sweet spot, the seventh, eighth uh, round that you were really willing to take this year? Obviously, Lamar Jackson, but I don't think Lamar Jackson is going to, his yeah. ADP is going to be seventh, eighth. Jalen Hurts could be about right there. I think he has like a like late sixth, early seventh round ADP, yeah. depending on drafts. I've been getting aggressive on him, so I'd be more than happy to take him maybe a round or so early. Russell Wilson, now Ooh, with Denver, I think that's yeah. a solid pickup because I do think he can get back to the types of production that he was getting, like in not necessarily his prime in Seattle, but let's just say good Russell Wilson and yeah. not the bad Russell Wilson that we were getting over, let's say, the back half of last season, especially with the weapons that he has around him. So I think even even the the bad Russell Wilson it wasn't that bad. It no, was it like wasn't that top, bad. Fifteen yeah. QB, like yeah. So, I, but I just think it was less of what we've expected. Of course, you know, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Aaron Rodgers. I still think even without Devontae Adams, we do have to at least give some credit to Aaron Rodgers' production to Aaron Rodgers. Of course, he's losing yeah. one of the best route runners, one of the best receivers in the league, but at least. They do have some semblance of talent around him, whether it's Aaron Jones at the backfield, A.J. Dillon, also a good pass catcher, then Alan Lazard, and then the rest of the like wide receivers that are currently there. I don't know yeah. if he's going to quickly establish rapport with guys like Christian Watson, but at least they do have other players there. At least that gives me some hope for Aaron Rodgers. But like those guys that are right there, seventh, eighth round, I've been more than happy to scoop them up almost like every single time I see them on the board. Chris, not in best ball, but in redraft mock drafts, I've been seeing Aaron Rodgers available around round nine and tenth. Wow, that's criminal. That's I'll crazy. Yeah, yeah, of I'll course. Well, of yeah. course, you take it. It's the yeah. value. It's the talent. It's the offense. Mm -hmm. How come in in Las Vegas expected wins we see the Packers up in expected wins? In right. the NFC, mm -hmm. who's going to do it? Aaron Jones, right. yeah, probably Aaron Jones, but also Aaron Rodgers. They right. need points. They need offense to win those games. Yes, Aaron Rodgers I mean, is going to be probably a really, really good value this year. Absolutely, as he is in most years. Just because, it, even if you want to take, let's say, if you're not an Aaron Rodgers believer, I don't see why you wouldn't. The man just won the MVP <laughs> last season. But, I mean, just think about it from, the, from this perspective. He plays against Chicago and Detroit twice a year. What more yeah. information do you need? I mean, I know <laughs> Chicago is already in dire straits. I mean, I, I, I apologize to Bears fans in advance, yeah. but your team needs some help. You're about, like, two years away from being a year away. Uh, Detroit, at least, they are starting to recycle players, like, on their defense and getting some help in. I really love what Dan Campbell's doing over there. But it's just they can still be had at this point. Green Bay is the king of the north, at least for the yeah. NFC. There's really they. How are they not a lock to wind up taking down that division? So, again, it sucks that they have lost their primary wide receiver. The connection, the back shoulder fades. I mean, all of those types of passes that they will wind up connecting with on like between him and Devontae Adams. I mean, Devontae Adams had, if I'm remembering the stat correctly, he had six or seven touchdowns just from within inside the five yard line. Yeah. So it's just that type of connection you probably can't create or recreate with a guy like Robert Tunyon, but there, there can be other ways that he can produce on the field for sure. And we've we've seen in the past Robert Tunyon to be touchdown dependable because mm -hmm. of the great touchdown chemistry that he had with Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, yes. it could be done. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I like Aaron Rodgers in that value. Oh, yeah, I, yeah, I, without I a agree. doubt. Without yeah. a doubt. Going to the running backs, Chris, mm -hmm. right now in, 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 in fantasy, we see like three big strategies, right? The, mm -hmm. the running back robust, the zero running back, and the newly named, well, at least for us that we didn't knew that name in, in, in Mexico, the hero running back or oh, yeah. the zero modified zero running back, right? <laughs> yeah. In your article, you, you wrote about how the strategies 
for running backs doesn't change for PPR to half PPR. And I think that that it's really, really valuing there to explain the Stadio Fantasy Podcast listeners why is this. I totally agree. It doesn't really change the balance of the running backs you are targeting. Mm -hmm. I, I would love you to explain why you wrote that and, and what takes you to that. I, oh, I'm... I'm that take for for, oh, yeah. for for telling you that even just looking at the like how we value running backs just overall like from like round by round like who are we going to take and it's not like if you go to let's say uh ffpc or like any other website or even just like in your home leagues that are just play full point ppr okay the value of the running backs in those leagues do not change yeah dramatically if you're going to a half point ppr and by value i mean where these guys are drafted like how we value of them, course right because sure the points or how much they score changes absolutely that's just straight math like that's easy <laughs> but how we value them like that doesn't change jonathan taylor is still being selected either number one or number two whether it's half point ppr full point ppr or standard that doesn't change right nick chubb even without the massive uh, pass catching acumen, like being a part of the Cleveland Browns, he's still being valued in the second round, second, third round. Okay. Yeah. Over on underdog, half point PPR, and his value is the same on FFPC, full point PPR. So, where we rank these quarterbacks, there might be minute differences here and there. Yeah. Sure. I mean, absolutely. But the overall fact is that we are not significantly shifting how we are drafting these running backs. And I think that's the biggest hurdle, like mental hurdle I had to get over when I was writing the article because I was like, oh, yeah, I mean, guys like Nick Chubb, like you're probably just going to completely forget about those guys. Antonio Gibson, I mean, he's already in a bad situation anyway. He doesn't catch a ton of passes, you know, probably just completely <laughs> free, you know, forget him. But it's like their ADPs relative to the rest of their peers are not significantly shifting. And once you get behind like that general idea in the fact that especially for the early rounds, we already know the types of running backs that we're going to be targeting in the early rounds anyway. We're looking for guys that are going to catch passes. Half point <laughs> PPR, full point PPR, or even if we it's don't standard. Care. Yeah. Like even if it's standard, because we know the extra yardage is going to give us points anyway. It doesn't matter. Yeah. As long yeah, as you it's, have it's volume is touches. Round, yeah. Volume, it's touches, it's red zone opportunities, it's getting inside the green zone, it's those money touches that wind up getting you touchdowns. If your early round running back has all that in front of them. It doesn't matter what the scoring system is. That's why each one of these guys that have the highest advance rates out of the early rounds, they are scoring system independent. Joe Mixon is not getting dinged because of, oh, well, he doesn't catch enough, the same number of passes as Austin Eckler. That doesn't matter. Yeah, of course. He still has the same amount of fantasy football production upside as Austin Eckler. Now, of course, like Austin Eckler with the receptions in a full point PPR there, that's when you can start to say, well, I would want him versus Derrick Henry or yeah. Alvin Kamara. Or, I mean, you can make those subtle changes, but overall, the types or the profile of running back that you're going to draft in those early rounds, it doesn't change. And, it's, and then once you start getting into the later rounds, I mean, that's when, of course, everything just becomes the same. Like once you get into the middle rounds, it essentially changes to PPR scoring at that point and how yeah. you would value players because that's where the opportunity cost between the rest of the positions, between wide receiver, tight end, I mean, all that stuff kind of comes back together to the point where you can value those running backs the same as any of the wide receivers or just the same as you would if it was full point PPR or whatever scoring system that you use. But those early rounds, again, the profile yeah. remains the same. I mean, guys that are going to have, or that are going to be on the field as much as possible. That's what we want. That's all we care about. And if we're going to wind up targeting or being able to pick up a running back that can do that, I mean, again, scoring system doesn't matter at that point. Yeah, I totally agree. And because you have like the, the 20 best running backs for fantasy football, it's going to be the same for PPR or half PPR. Probably mm -hmm. one or two like changes between yes. them. Yeah. But the 20, the 24 running backs are the same guys, are the right. same names. Yeah. Yeah. 
It's I, not like again, like JD McKissick doesn't have like a third round ADP <laughs> in PPR, but like you know a ten a tenth round ADP, yeah. a half point PPR. It's like we're not we're not significantly changing anything. Neither Naheem Hines, yeah, or anything like that. Uh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, do you think that the running back dead zone exists? <laughs> to a degree, okay. Uh, it's but the the problem with the dead zone. And I think even I started, I started writing about it back in, I think it was either last year or it might've been 2020 where just in my FFPC articles, I started noticing the same thing, you know, running backs that were drafted, let's say in rounds five through eight, four through six. I mean, somewhere in like the end of the early rounds and getting into the middle rounds, like that's where you start to see a drop off in either win rate, playoff advancement rate, like insert metric here. But What's the cause of that? Well, it's opportunity cost. It's not necessarily because the running back talent completely dries up because you can still find guys at least that we can project for a decent number of touches. And even just this last year, uh, who was it? Javante Williams, if I remember correctly, had a fifth round ADP, still yeah. wound up exceeding the baseline playoff advancement rate that we have over at four for four. And he was a running back selected in the dead zone. So it's like, it's not all running backs. But it's just also given the opportunity cost associated with that running back compared to the wide receivers, compared to the tight ends. And especially once you get into the fifth and sixth round, the quarterbacks that are also going over there. The tight ends as well. Absolutely. It's almost every other position that you could consider for your roster now far outseeds, like they far exceed the value of whatever that running back is going to be unless that running back now also has the same level of opportunity as the running backs that are going two to three rounds ahead of them. Like Javante Williams, pass catcher. Yeah. I mean, rusher between the twenties and also getting red zone touches. But Melvin Gordon, Chris, Melvin Gordon. No, (laughs) but think about the profile. I mean, we don't see that same type of profile for every single running back I agree. that's going that's going to we're going to be able to select in the yeah. fifth round that's why he is the exception because if you lay out that profile for the early round guys that's what we wanted right we said we wanted targets we said we wanted rushes we said we wanted green zone touches and Javante Williams he had that profile and if you look at the past running backs that were being selected there. Like even when it was like Mark Ingram on his last legs, like in new Orleans, when he was clearly behind Alvin Kamara, it's like, you could probably slot him in for rushes in between the twenties, few targets, yeah, right? Absolutely. Yeah. But red zone touches, he didn't have mm-hmm. the same upside anymore, but everybody was more than happy to give him that fifth round ADP when he didn't have the same upside as Javon Williams. So it's just, You have to, again, contextualize those situations and look at each of those running backs that we've drafted, typically drafted in the fifth round, and just know that we did not have that same profile as we had with him. And some of the other guys that were possible hits, like in the, let's say that we would consider to be in the dead zone. For 2022, what running backs at ADP round four, round five, round six, would you think that could be the exception as Javonta Williams last year? I do like where J.K. Dobbins is going, like, right now. I've seen him go, like, in the back end of the fourth round, like, somewhere in there. And just because I get it coming off of the injury. And we also saw, like, how Baltimore's offense, like, overall, like, underperformed last year, like, without Mm -hmm. having Lamar Jackson under center for, what was that, like, three, four, five games, like, somewhere in there. It's just that entire offense left a bad taste in people's mouths. It's not just Lamar. It was the entire offense, especially with the loss of Marquise Brown as well. So it's just until folks really realize like how much that offense is predicated on the rushing attack and what their expectation for Dobbins was and how much of a productive rushing or running back J.K. Dobbins was at Ohio State. I mean, all of that stuff just kind of comes together. I mean, J.K. Dobbins will be their leading rusher. Of course. Like, it's their... I mean, from an opportunity standpoint. Mm -hmm. And so it makes sense that I get the injury concern, but if we can at least, from all reports as of right now, he's trending or he should be on track in order to be ready for OTAs, should be ready for uh, for training camp. I mean, all systems go as of right now. So if this is going to be a team that is going to at least not fall all the way back to their rush-heavy ways, but at the very least have more opportunities in the running game, 
then yeah, sign me up for J.K. Dobbins. I think he also like he definitely has the profile for running back that's going to have rushes in between the twenties, yeah. rushes inside the twenties in the red zone, and even also, with Lamar Jackson there, even with Lamar Jackson, yeah. and especially given how few reliable pass catchers they have in that offense. Can we also slot him in for some targets as well? I think so. So just like he hits the trifecta for a guy that can be drafted in the quote-unquote dead zone with the upside in order to have the same type of production as the guys drafted a couple rounds ahead of him. Some mock drafts that I've done, I I, like, you know, like, okay, I'm going to go hero running back. Probably when, when I started the 101, 102, 103, that you have to go with a running back 104 even. Mm -hmm. And I said like, okay, I'm going to be, Hero running back, and then round two wide receiver. White uh, round three probably Kyle Pitts or a wide receiver. Sure. When when I go to round four or round five and Jackie Dobbins is there, okay, let's yeah. let, let's put on the trash my hero running back yeah. strategy and let's start pounding on J.K. Dobbins. Travis Etienne is another one, another running back that I'm willing to draft. His ADP is probably round six, and I really like him as well. Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. I mean, looking at how well, at least like from an, uh, from a total team perspective, like I, I do think that there's a ton of upside, like right there. And like, where have you seen him like being drafted at? Round six. Oh my gosh. Like, yeah, I, I really do <laughs> like that. I mean, in redraft, redraft. Yeah. Sure. 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 But I mean, guys like him, Miles Sanders, uh, another mm. guy that, I mean, again, we think back to last year, and first we have to kind of like toss that out. But again, Miles Sanders, I will wholeheartedly agree, complete disappointment. But if we look at his situation, that man had 21 attempts from inside the 20. Mauricio, <laughs> how many red zone touch, touchdowns did Miles Sanders have in 2021? Zero. Same as you and me last season. Yes. Zero I mean, touchdowns. But, Zero Crazy. touchdowns, but he had the most red zone attempts on the team. Yep. Kenny Gainwell did not outplay him last year. I mean, he had a few games here and there, but he did not take over the job from Miles Sanders. Like we, at least some folks thought that he would. So Miles Sanders comes in on an offense that is led by a mobile quarterback, still has a ton of rushing upside. I mean, the Eagles were like bottom five in password over expectation last year. So it's just if Miles Sanders is lead back on that type of team with a dynamic yeah. quarterback in Jalen Hurts, that's a yeah. good situation that I want to buy into. I mean, especially now with they have A.J. Brown, too, so the passing game should be more efficient, leading to more touches for Miles Sanders inside the 20. Hey, yeah. that's that's the type of guy that <laughs> I want to invest in. Of course. And what's your take on, on Chase Edmonds? Are you on board with Chase Edmonds in Miami or not that much? Because I've been doing some research about Chase Edmonds. I personally like him because of his versatility mm-hmm. for some it's he's only a third down back i don't agree as uh, as much but seeing what mike mcdaniels has done with his running backs in the passing game in past mm-hmm. as coordinator five yep. years every running back or his running backs has at least 20 percent target share we can expect the same for chase edmonds i mean Chase Edmonds is there for a reason. I think he's the profile running back that loves Mike McDaniels. Mm-hmm. And I and I see he, he can be productive. And, and people use, nah, but Raheem Mostert, ah, no, and they are, they are <laughs> more running backs. Come on, Chase Edmonds, for a money point of view, for a uh, usage point of view, he's going to be the running back that, that I pre- previewed to have more touches in that offense. Oh, I would agree. Because any of the other guys that he's currently uh, like has a competition for rushing attempts against, like I, I get it. Like you know, Raheem Mostert. Like I really in, like I love Mostert's like story. I mean, the guy's like a former surfer. I mean, definite speedster. But I mean, again, older, coming off of a like a pretty catastrophic injury. Yeah. So he could just be insurance, right? And like in case of in, like in case of emergency, break glass, and there's Raheem Mostert. But does he have the same pass catching acumen as Chase Edmonds? And I say no. Does he also have the same explosiveness? Well, that remains to be seen, especially with the injury. And Edmonds has that explosiveness. He also has the pass catching ability in his expertise in that particular area far out like far exceeds yeah. guys like Miles Gaskins. So it's just like Gaskin, Savan Ahmed, 
they, I mean, Chase Edmonds, they don't hold a candle Come to on. Edmonds at this point. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's an easy path to already seeing him on the field. And if you think about what the Dolphins have done this offseason, the types of guys that they're talking, I mean, they bring in Tyreek Hill, Yak Monster. They've already got Jalen Waddell. I mean, he had the, like, I think what, he broke the rookie record for yards after the catch, if I'm remembering correctly, or it had to be, like, fairly high up there, number yeah, one, yeah. at least in 2021. Mike Gusecki as well. So it's just you have guys that are capable of creating after the catch, and Chase Edmonds can do the same. So, yeah. like, if that's the type of profile for the rest of the pass catchers that they've got, and Waddle, Hill, and Gusecki, which running back fits in with that profile? Chase it has to be Edmonds. Yes, <laughs> of course. So I just for me, like all all signs point to Edmonds being the guy that they want to use in that offense. Now, whether he's up to the task, whether he can create behind Dolph- the Dolphins' offensive line, which I know they're working on, they bring in Teron Armstead. Good signing, but one man is not going to change that entire unit. Yeah, I agree. So they'd still have some work to do, but at least for right now, on paper, Edmonds is the right fit for that offense. With Mostert probably being like the primary backup like to him should things go awry yeah totally yeah, great to see that that you are on the same page in oh yeah mm-hmm. great passing to wide receivers you also had an article uh, there about wind rate and, and stuff and you start talking about the different archetypes of wide receiver that we have now in nfl and fantasy football do you think that having those many archetypes of receivers have helped their overall value in fantasy football that probably not this year mm-hmm. in the first round, but people are more willing to take a wide receiver early in the second and the third, third rounds and going like not so much running back robust. Do you think that, that having so many archetypes has to, to do with that or not? I, I think so to a degree. And the reason why I went into that, uh, you guys can probably tell I come from the fantasy school of Matt Harmon. Okay. And like he is like he's been uh you know a close uh, like professional friend of mine and like I've bounced ideas off of him and we've gone back and forth like for for a number of years uh, and actually like huge congrats to him since he just got married like to, uh, what last yeah weekend, actually, the weekend before last yeah I think last weekend yeah yes uh congrats love man. That. yeah love that guy uh, but he's been preaching that for for I don't know how many years in that. It's just we can't like the wide receiver position. I know it's just a a static label. It's a label that we apply to so many different receivers. But Cooper Cup and Mike Evans ain't playing the same game. Like Jamar Chase and Hunter Renfro ain't playing the same game. It's like what they're asked to do, how they're being deployed in the field. It's not the same. But yet the only thing that we care about, the only thing that we see, like once we go back and check our scores, like on the ESPN app or whichever one that we use, is how many points they've accrued. But we can't really, uh, we can't really analyze pos- the position in the same way as saying that. Well, Hunter Renfro scored, you know, fifteen point six PPR points per game, and Mike Evans only scored fourteen point two. So Hunter Renfro is a better wide receiver. It's like you yeah. can't make that statement because you're not taking into context like what they're being asked to do. And so that was kind of the 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 way that I approached this article is that if we can kind of dissect what these guys are, like how they're deployed on the field, like the types of routes that they're running and what their value is to their team, like from a football standpoint, then we can kind of just peel back that onion a little bit more in order to see, all right, well, then how does that translate to fantasy football production? And especially for the early round guys, I mean, yeah, it's the guys that you'd expect from Justin Jefferson, Cooper Cup, Jamar Chase from last year. And those are the guys that wind up getting into like the high advanced like playoff rates, the guys that have the high win rates, like it's year in, year out. I mean, beforehand it was, you know, Devontae Adams, it was Antonio Brown. It was yeah. like the, those like wide receiver ones, but what made them special? Sure, it's a high target rate. We'd expect that. We expect these guys to have like the prime DeAndre Hopkins level types of targets where you're getting 28, 29% of your team's targets. But some of those guys and most of those guys, I mean, they were also exceeding, they're like leading their team in terms of red zone targets, which, again, if you correlate that to the running back position, that's what we want. We want overall touches, but we want touches inside the 20. Like, we need those money touches, like the touchdowns that come with it. But also, the other pretty interesting thing that I found is, like, their average depth of target. Like, we don't really think about it that much. Like, like most folks don't even care. It's just like, well, like, my wide receiver one is going to be, like, scoring touchdowns, or he's going to be catching passes, and he's going to be getting targets. But, like we said earlier... Mike Evans ain't playing the same game as Cooper Cup. And it's 
interesting that guys like Mike Evans have been kind of rare in terms of hitting on the top 12 in terms of win rate year in and year out. It's the guys like Cooper Cup that are getting in year in and year out. It's the guys like Deontay Johnson. Jamar Chase, kind of an outlier Mm. just because he ran more deeper routes like than the rest of the Bengals like on his team and mostly other wide receivers for last year. He had an eight out of about 13.9. So Taking into a, taking that into account, you have to think about, well, what types of routes are these guys running? Like, if they're not running as many deep routes, well, I mean, look at what Cooper Cup was doing. I mean, the man had like a 60% slot rate just last year. He's running those shorter routes. He's running those intermediate, yeah. you know, somewhat semi-deep routes as well. But he's just being able to create on so many different ways. That is why they're on the field so often. That is why they're being used in the red zone. So if you're capable of winning and separating – and having that route running acumen that you're now like used 99% of the time, you have a route participation of 98, 97%. Like when your quarterback is dropping back to pass, then that means you're being used on the field for more than just one thing. Yeah. Like you're not just a guy that's running straight line down the field or just doing, you know, these deep crosses or something like that. Like if those are the types of route runners that are like they're going in the early rounds. Those are the guys that you want to be investing in. Yeah. Totally. And, and I want to, to share with, with the listeners the median metrics for a receiver drafted within the first six rounds on the roster win rate top 12 that you uh, wrote on your article. I, I found them really, really eye-opening to what we have to look for or what to target for wide receivers with this statistics. It's 94.9 route participation, 25.9% target share, 24.2% red zone target share and 11.38 dot. Yes. So there's the median metrics that we need to, to look at. That's amazing. Do you think that the aided it's like, like you said it right now, some wide receivers win in deep routes, some mm-hmm. wide receivers in, uh, in routes, but they are able to generate yards after the catch. And and that generation of yards gets them on the field uh-huh. like more and more and more, right? Yeah. So there's not only like the depth, but also look for yards after the catch. I think that that setting is, is also very, very valuable. Absolutely. And that's why guys like Tyreek Hill were capable of getting onto the top 12 win rate list, like not just all the way back in 2018 when he was more of a deep threat, but he hit it again back in 2020 because his route, uh, his ADOT dropped in 2020, like as compared to his 2018 statistics, but he was still creating after the catch. He was still being moved from the perimeter to the slot. So it's just if you can now become more than just that, like think about, again, I always go back to, and I use this example a lot, but think about a guy like Mike Evans, like always has an early round draft capital, but we know the type of role that he has like with the Bucks, primarily on the outside, yeah. catching those deep passes. I mean, sure he has like the massive red zone target share. And so that's what makes him a little bit more volatile year to year basis. But yeah, think about if Mike Evans was playing that role plus Chris Godwin's role. That's a beast right there. Yeah. Right? You get the slot targets along with the perimeter, along with the red zone work as well. And that's where that's kind of where you get like those alpha receivers from. And that's probably why Mike Evans has kind of sat outside of the top 12, at least in terms of ADP on a year to year basis. We know he's good. We know that he's essentially locked into a thousand yard uh, season every single year, which is what he's done so far throughout his entire career. But it's just the role that he plays on that offense which makes it like harder to draft yeah. him as your wide receiver one. Like he might be your wide receiver three. He's the wide receiver one on his team, but he might be your like second or third <laughs> wide receiver just because you know, like when he booms, brother, like that's going to be a wide receiver one for that week. Yeah. But otherwise he might have six for 80, you know, five for 75, you know, and then it's just yeah. going to be that one week where it's three or, you know, six for 150 and two touchdowns, Right. I mean, that's going to happen more often than not, but you just need to account for that when you draft guys with that type of profile. Yeah, of course. And talking about that versatile role that being the slaughter and the outside, and we talked about Matt Harmon as well. Matt recently tweeted that Elijah Moore has that versatile role. Mm -hmm. And people is like, 
afraid of Elijah Moore this year because of Ward Wilson. <laughs> and, and come on, Elijah Moore is the number one in that offense, an offense that should look better this year. Mm -hmm. I'm investing in Elijah Moore a lot because I, I, I've seen his ADP dropping, not that much, but dropping a little bit mm -hmm. because of that Garrett Wilson uh, addition. Where are you on Elijah Moore? Do you love it as much as Matt Harmon as, as I do or not? I mean, oh, we absolutely. Have Chris, sorry, sorry. We have a uh, uh, nickname for Elijah Moore in this. Oh, podcast. what is it? It's the astronaut. <laughs> How did you get there? The, the nickname actually is uh, Alice Losa idea. Okay. Because when, when I when I made a, a podcast with Liz last year before the draft, mm -hmm. she said like I love Elijah Moore because he route runs like like an astronaut. Like okay, he's the astronaut. And right. now he's the astronaut. So right. where are you in the with the astronaut this year, Elijah Moore? Oh, I, I loved him when he was coming out of college. I was 100% on board with Matt's analysis in that if you're looking for a, let's say, not necessarily your prototypical X receiver, but let's say a Z receiver that can play the perimeter and also play in the slot. So essentially, kind of like what we've envisioned or what we've seen from guys like, let's say, Amari Cooper, CeeDee Lamb, that yeah. have that level of versatility, they might not be able to separate or beat man press coverage every single time. But at least that's in their bag of tricks. And that's really all we want from those types of guys that are going to be drafted in, let's say, the middle the middle to late rounds. Or if we're going to be investing not necessarily a top three or four pick in our rookie drafts, mm -hmm. but let's say you know, he's white, like he's the 106, 107, 108, like somewhere in there. Yeah. And now if we look at all the moves that the Jets have made like this past season as compared to last year, I mean, last year, Elijah Moore didn't really have a ton of options in terms of being able to play like on the inside because look at the team that he was surrounded with. I mean, he had Corey Davis, like, you know, pigeonholed outside as well. Denzel Mims, if they happen to want to play him at all. <laughs> and then also like guys like Jameson, like Jameson Crowder, Braxton Berry are still kicking around and the tight ends as well. I mean, they didn't have a ton of options to really utilize him in a way that really benefited or spoke to his strengths. And of course they had the, carousel at quarterback because they bring in Zach White and you know the or not that's Zach White Mike White Zach Wilson's out for a while whatever the case may be now this year they actually bring in a prototypical X receiver in Garrett Wilson a guy that can actually take away or actually force defensive coverage to at least pay yeah. attention to him whether or not they could not it doesn't always have to be with you know with their feet but at the very least they have to watch him with their eyes like as he's running down the field So if now that allows Garrett Wilson to play one side of the perimeter, Corey Davis on the other side of the perimeter, and allow Elijah Moore to go into the <laughs> slot, that's an offense that yeah. I want to see. And now you also have legitimate talent at the tight end position with C.J. Uzma also being of there. Course. This is now an offense that requires defensive attention in more places than just on Elijah Moore. Like This is all yeah. good things in, in, my, in, in my perspective. And this is also being piloted by a quarterback That while he was great in college, BYU's offensive line was the top-ranked offensive line in the nation. The Jets ain't that. So now who do you think Zach Wilson is going to uncork a pass to? Is he going to be looking 20 yards down the field for Garrett Wilson? whenever? No he gets time for that. No. no time for that, No. <laughs> so no, I mean, it, like Elijah Moore's strengths speak to Zach Wilson's weaknesses. So overall, I think like it's just it makes sense for – a wide receiver with that type of versatility. I mean, he can play outside if he needs to at the Z, play inside in the slot. I mean, he can has the route running capability to do all of those things. We've seen that before, even at the pro level just last year, and also tied to a quarterback that is going to likely look in that area of the field anyway once he's under pressure. So, yeah, for me, it's all systems go for Elijah Moore. Yeah, love to hear that. <laughs> love to hear that. And for final thoughts, uh, Chris, probably – Everyone has has listened to the podcast and has following uh, the podcast. They probably know more or less how to construct a roster for 2022, right? We, we mm -hmm. talk about the QBs. We talk about the running backs. We talk about yeah. the wide receivers, the tight end position, probably in, in another episode. What's your single best advice for roster construction for fantasy football managers for 2022? 
if you can only give one advice. Sure. Don't pay attention to it. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I would a, say, though, advice. it depends on the the level of, I'd say, the level of player that you are. So let's say if you're a casual player, just trying to figure out, like, what best ball is, and then you keep seeing these roster constructions, like, tossed at you. You know, what is what is three five eight two mean? Or like whatever, like, you know, best ball roster construction that people are using. Don't don't freak out too much about that. Okay. Stick to the core. Stick to the basics. You're not trying to draft, you know, four or five quarterbacks because you don't need that many. You know, invest in running backs you know, early if you can. So try and uh, pick up some of that sustained like production at the running back position. Or if you wind up having to go late, we've already talked about the profile of running backs that you should be targeting throughout the you know late early rounds, middle rounds. I mean, so on and so forth. But it's just, don't go overboard at any one position. That's essentially what you're trying to do. And then also trying to not overlap on so many bye weeks as well. So that's if you're like a, just a casual player, casual. right? Just a casual player. Uh, if you are getting into like deeper into best ball, that's where you can start to look at the different roster constructions that are you know doing well or might be have some untapped potential and if you're building a portfolio let's say if you're like if you're going to max out best ball mania 3 150 drafts you can then start to play around with different builds as you go through building that one the 150 portfolio say yep i'm going to try you know this from there you know, from this round or you know i'm going to try this strategy here this construction here and try and mix and match as you as you need to or as you want to in order to find out like what gives you the biggest edge or what like it's what's comfortable for you yeah because i know a lot of folks are some folks are zero rb zealots some folks are all about anti-fragile builds where you just do like you draft three. I mean, whatever strategy, you'll probably find a cult associated with it. But find out what's what you're comfortable with, because if you wind up drafting a squad and you, let's say if you're you hate zero RB and you try it one time and you hate how your roster looks, don't do it. Don't do it. Yeah. Find out what's comfortable, what you're comfortable with. If you're uh, like a wide receiver zealot like myself. Try and get as many as you can. Yeah, but at least again, adhere to just the basics around how many positions or how many draft slots you should allocate to that position without going overboard, and then you'll be fine. Yeah, diversify and do what you're comfortable yes. with, because there isn't a flawless, unique strategy for winning. The idea is right. to put yourself on the best position to win. That's it. Absolutely, yeah. Chris. Thank you very much. It was a real pleasure and honor to have you here in the Stadio Fantasy Podcast and. See you in Canton. Please tell the audience where can uh, they find you on, on social media and your work in, in fantasy football. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Chris Allen FFWX. My home throughout the off season is four for four, four for four football. But during the season, uh, I do some side work for football guys. I do some uh, freelance work for NBC Sports Edge. Uh, even established the run as well. Yeah, uh, nice. So you can you can find me all over the place. But if <laughs> you need me, like just shoot me a DM. I'm more than happy to help you out if I can. Go follow him. You're not going to regret it. I put my word in it. Really. You have to follow this guy. Chris, thank you. It was really a pleasure and see you in Canton. Will do. Can't wait. Muchachos, pues muchísimas gracias por escuchar esta gran plática con Chris. Espero que el inglés no les haya causado eh, mucho problema y hayan entendido gran parte o todo el podcast. Les mando un fuerte abrazo. Yo soy Mauricio Gutiérrez y esto fue el Estadio Fantasy Podcast. 